So welcome to the Heal Your Heart, Heal Your Life podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things that have helped us heal on our journey through trauma, through difficulties in life and um, share what we've been going through in order to help others learn to heal their hearts and their lives as well. I'm your host, Kiara Jade, and I'm very excited to introduce um, my favorite old teacher, Andrea. <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you, Kiara. <laughs> do you want to give a little bit of an introduction to yourself or yeah I can um so my name's Andrea I am I don't know how to describe myself a teacher and I have two children and lovely husband and two dogs and love to read as you can probably see in the background with all the books. um yeah no all good happy I'm a pretty happy person yes fantastic thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story I think it's so powerful and empowering for other women, I think, to hear um, what we've gone through and, you know, yeah. our journey to healing as well. So thank you so much. Um, so tell us a bit, bit about your story. Like, um, yeah, what's, um, what's happened? I think in my past in relationships, I've had monog like long-term monogamous relationships and they lasted many years mm. I had two and then I broke up well three actually with one boyfriend and the first time that I went out after breaking up with him after four years I met someone who was probably a mirror image to myself mm. and when I think about it now and after talking to the police I wonder if that was all a ploy and if that's just something that this person does to get people to trust them mm. so when we spoke and we spoke for hours and hours. He had a school teacher. His sister was a Catholic school teacher. His father was the president of St. Vinnie's. His mum mm. had done volunteer work, um, but had the same political views, like quite passionate about refugees and making things equal for people. Mm. So I think that that led me to having a sense of trust about that person. Yeah. Yep. and then he said would you come back to my house and I said no I don't go back to strangers houses like I have to have feelings for someone to do that hmm. and he said well it's not about sex like I'm more than happy not to have sex he said I've just moved here from Sydney and I'm lonely and I'd love to have someone who I can wake up with and go out to breakfast with and show my place off and I was like well after all our conversations I trusted him hmm. Hmm. and he was not to be trusted hmm. so um he was fine that night and didn't do anything to harm me but then when he woke up in the morning it was like it was a different person mm. and he there was nothing that I could do to stop him mm. I, and mm. it's it's really interesting when you're in that moment and I my question would be how many women in that moment have said okay, I'll just go along with this because I've had sex before and mm. I'll just do it again. Like I remember lying there and looking at the blind after I'd been fighting him off and nothing would stop him. And I remember that thought going through my head and I was thinking, do I just go along with this? Like, yeah. And I think for me, in all the reflection over the years since that's happened, I just think of how many more people would have been raped, but they just at that moment when they had originally said no, thought it's easier not to yeah yeah to say no and I was like no damn you I have said no mm, <laughs> so mm. I really yeah was quite I don't know how to describe it but anyway he ended up stopping and then he ended up crying and he was mm. saying I'm really sorry I shouldn't have done that to you and I couldn't get out of there fast enough so I mm. rang my really good friend and um she I lived with her at the time and she came and picked me up and I didn't want to be with her because she actually said to me when she picked me up, welcome to singledom. And I'd only been broken up for six years after four yeah. years of a relationship. And I was like, what do you mean, welcome to singledom? Has this happened to you? And she said, no, no, it hasn't happened to me, but these kind of things happen all the time. Like she was just so blase about it. So I went to another friend's house and she um, tried to call the police or she called the police. She was on the phone to them, but I didn't want to have anything to do with the police at that yeah. stage. Yeah. This was 2005 and there were, had been a number of rape cases in the media around then and um, none of them were prosecuted. And there was one judge who a man broke into a woman's house and he said it was an opportunistic rape. Like it was, and there was another one that was described as a garden variety. The president of the Carlton Football Club had just got up and made jokes about people being raped. Like what? it was just, yeah. And I just think that 
most people would never have gone to the police. Yeah. And I hope that more people do now, but I know still most people don't go. It's heartbreaking the amount of convictions that actually come out of these cases yeah. and really disappointing that, you know, the legal system could be doing a lot more in this space. Yeah. 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 Devastating. So I went to her house and then I went, a very good friend of mine at school who um, you would remember fondly, her PE teacher, um, I spoke to her and she told the people at work who needed to know because mm. I didn't know how I would go being at work. Yeah. And I um I didn't tell my I told my brother. He was my brother and I were very close and his now was his wife then. Mm. I didn't want to tell my parents because my parents are um, very loving and very protective. Yeah. And they were also planning to go to the UK to see my youngest brother. And I knew yeah. that and that was in like maybe two or three months' time after mm. this happened. And I knew that if I told them there'd be no way they were going to the UK. So I yeah. didn't want to tell them. I just wanted them to go over there. Um, I think in talking about healing your life, I think telling people is super important. Yeah. I um, I was very, very lucky at work. I had a wonderful boss. He was fairly new and he called me into the office because he'd been told and the deputy principal called me on in and he's like, I have no words. I'm just so upset by this. Mm. Um, he said, but I want you to go and see a counsellor. Um, I want you to organise that today. You have as much time off as you need to do that. And um, so he was awesome. I ended up, I think I needed to be at school. Mm-hmm. I needed to be at work because I couldn't be alone with my thoughts. I was, so yeah. I think for some people, and I'm one of them being busy is better, mm. but I was also unable to teach for, it was probably about six days. I just couldn't be looking at all the gorgeous little innocent faces. It was really yeah. hard to compose myself there. So he had said to me, you just come in every day and you mm. can sit in the office and you can do work if you want, or you can play Tetris if you want, like <laughs> whatever you want to do. Oh, that's so awesome. um, I did that and he was wonderful. Um, But I think I'll go through because I think I had a lot of traumatic things happen afterwards, which yeah, yeah. upset me a lot. The, um, the first one was the Monday after. So that happened on a Saturday morning mm. and I'd made an appointment to go to a doctor and my doctor wasn't there and I had a different doctor. Yeah. And I told her what had happened because you have to go through and have all, you know, um, the STD checks and yeah. HIV and all those kind of things. So I told her what had happened and said I needed all these tests. And then she said, have you been to the police? And I said, no. And she didn't speak another word to me the whole time I was in there. She, not one word. Wow. And I was livid. Yeah. (laughs) So I ended up ringing the practice manager and Mm. I said, what's going on with this doctor? Like she, this is what I went here for. And then she didn't speak to me after I said that. And the practice manager said, oh, look, she um, is from Iran and she really believes that, you know, the police here are good and that we should be going to them. And I said, Mm. you need to do some um, PD with her because that was the most appalling way to treat a patient. I said, and I was 31 when this happened. And I said, and I'm 31 and I'm articulate and I know Mm. what I'm saying. I said, if she did that to a 17-year-old girl, I said, that that is wrong. So she was- It's all well and good to have that belief system, but- that's not the way to work with a trauma-informed like practice and to be able to say to someone and like you know this is important and I'm supporting you in whatever you're going through at the moment because it's not easy to just walk in the police doors and you know share your story in that environment definitely like yeah it was hard Mm. so then after that I um had to go I put myself down your name goes on like there's rape um hotline you know for counseling emergency counseling yeah so I think I got into that on the Wednesday and I went there and another bad thing happened so Mm. the lady who was doing that told me that I was lucky to have got to 31 without having that happen to me by a male um and I just I was furious (laughs) another time and I again I was so happy that I was able to articulate what I was thinking and feeling and I just Mm. If you have, if you think that about men, then you have been in this job too long. Mm. Because I know everyone's shades of grey, but I know my brothers would never do this. Mm. And I know my good male friends would never do this. Like, and if this is what you think all men do, then it's time for you to change a job. And Mm. I left. I was Mm. like, I'm not even (laughs) talking to you anymore. Um, And then after that, I spoke to 
a really like my brothers had been great but um a male friend who I've grown up with yeah um his sister's my closest friend and the four of us with my middle brother we all did everything together mm. and he was amazing like he just was no 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 and you're going to the police and this is not acceptable and yeah. and then I touched base with the boyfriend who I'd just broken up with as well and he had had um before we got together he used to have a good time on Friday and Saturday nights I think every Friday and Saturday night and he was great and he was like no that's not acceptable he said I've gone back and he said I've been in the middle of having sex and someone said doesn't feel right and I've stopped he said yeah that's what do and he said so you need to go to the police Mm. that was the last time I saw him after that but I think just having those two male voices who I trusted made me feel that I could do it so I went to the police and they were, I didn't want to go. There was one at, as you know, Knox police because there mm. were a couple of parents from school who worked there. Uh, and I know that they would generally be trustworthy, but you don't know what they'd say in front of their kids or yeah. around, you know, other people who might hear. So um, the friend who I was talking about before, like my closest friend, her um, husband had a friend who was a policeman and based at Royville. Mm-hmm. So he organised for the, the soccer team, I think they're called. Soccer, so, yep. Yeah, they came out um, and they interviewed me for hours and hours and they were absolutely lovely. Oh, good. Um, really, really good. And I would encourage people to do that because, yeah. yeah, they're gentle and they get the story out of you without making you feel that you've done anything wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they were great. But then um, I think... It's I, I for the first time ever had an understanding of women in domestic violence, which I've mm. never understood why people don't leave. Yeah. And I think that the act of me going to the police then made this about me and not about him because now I was the one who had, I guess, the power and he mm. was the one who was going to be charged by yeah. the police. And you feel a sense of guilt which I find Mm. astounding like rationally you can go why would I feel guilty about this because this was nothing to do with my fault but you do you feel like by you going to the police that you have caused that to happen to that person Mm. Mm. um so yeah it was just it's a different way of thinking and I think that until you have something like this happen to you you can't understand how people can feel that way yeah yeah so he um and I even I said to the police because they were going to arrest him and I said oh I don't really want you to do it at his work and Mm. they found that really weird and they were like why and I said oh I don't know but I just that doesn't sit right with me yeah 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 yeah. so then he was he was arrested at work I think Mm. and they rang up and told me that that had happened and he denied doing anything so then for the 12, oh, I told my parents when they came back from the UK and it was actually really interesting because I um, I lost my voice that week uh-huh. and I couldn't speak at all. Wow. And um, later on when, when I got a psychologist and I was talking to her about it and she said that that's your brain's way of protecting itself. Mm. So when your brain doesn't want to deal with something, it'll create a physical ailment that will prevent you from doing it or will take away your thought of what you're doing so your, your focus is on where you're feeling sick rather than what you have to do I actually am a big believer in the connection between the body and like mental difficulties and things like that and how if not well like subconsciously sometimes your your brain has such a connection to your body and yeah making physical ailments come up so I completely agree yeah. with you on that yeah and I think that it makes a lot of sense that your brain would do something to protect yeah from you because it's that fight or flight mode and it's doing what it can to protect so um I think the most heartbreaking thing was having to tell my parents um, yeah I, it helped me to tell them but mm. my poor they were just beside themselves and my poor dad especially that night like I'll, obviously I wasn't living at home and yeah. he followed me home he drove me home he walked me up to my front door and I was like yeah. it was just heartbreaking to see what that had done to them yeah yeah um then Probably after that, for the next, it was probably about eight or nine months, I just tried to pretend it hadn't happened because mm. I couldn't deal with anything. So I spent most of that year at my friend's house. She had three little kids and I used to just go around there every night and play with the kids and mm. watch Big Brother with her and her husband. <laughs> and I think that um, for me, I found that that was healing, being around them. Definitely. But it actually, it wasn't because I was avoiding 
everything. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. trying to pretend that nothing had happened whilst not living my life like I normally would. So mm, I was mm. hiding from everything other than work and feeling safe with the people who I knew. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was probably close to 12 months afterwards. Um, a friend of mine, I'd caught up with her and her brother was there and we always got along really well. And he had said, oh, do you want to come out for dinner one night next week? And I was like, yep, yep. I felt really good. Like I've known mm. him for many years. Nothing romantic in it, just catch up for dinner. Yeah. So, and it would have been the first time I was alone with a male since mm. it had happened and mm. not like someone who I had, you know, really trusted. Yeah. And he lived in Elwood, which is where it had happened. So mm. it was like a double whammy. And yeah. as I thought I was okay, I hadn't processed anything. And as I was driving there, my body started shaking and I mm. couldn't breathe properly. And I got to the end of the street and I had to pull over and vomit. And I was like, oh, this is horrendous. Yeah. yeah. So then um, I got there and I said, look, I, I can't go out for dinner. I'm just a bit of a mess at the moment. And he lived with his mum and I knew her really well. So the three of us just sat around and we chatted for about an hour. And then mm. I felt much better after that. So we went to dinner and I was good. But in the six weeks following that, it caught up with me and I realised mm. that I think I was on the verge of a breakdown because that six weeks as well, I just made myself go out every night. I wasn't going anywhere. I would meet strangers or do anything, yeah. you know, like that. But I was at this friend's house and dinner with this person and working every day. And and then I went to mum's one night and mum said to me, I think you're on the verge of a breakdown. I'm really mm. worried about you. And I just burst into tears because I knew that that's exactly how I was feeling. And it was yeah. good to have someone verbalise it and I couldn't run anymore. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so interesting how we respond to trauma in that, yeah, we try to just continue living our lives and pushing it down is the natural reaction for a lot of people to have. It's like, this is too much. I can't handle this. So yeah, I'm going to go see my friend's children because when you're with children or when you're with a friend, you're with that friend, you're not in your own thoughts. No. And it can be almost feel like a sense of normalcy that we don't have anymore that we're trying to find again. Yeah. And then, in, but the body remembers and I liken emotions to like a beach ball where it's like, if you try to push them down, they'll just pop back up in another location, like over here, over there. Um, and no matter how hard you try to push it under the water, that air will just pop it back up. So I feel like you going back to Elwood, you're unconscious mm -hmm. or your body remembered that, Hey, we haven't processed this and we're going to bring it up again as like a way of dealing with it because, you know, we got busy and we got into all our other things going forward. Um, and this is the way to deal with it. We're going to just bring it up to you in physical ailments. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Mm. Ah, I just thought of something else that happened soon after it happened too. I actually wrote um, an email to Darren Hinch because he had his, he was on the radio then and he was yeah. really against, you know, child abuse and things like that. Mm. <laughs> and he was pro going to the police and going to court. And so I just, I had to do something because I couldn't let it just let this one thing happen to me and there'd be no sort of conversation about yeah. why I chose not to go to the police. So mm. that was in the initial week when I didn't go. So I wrote him an email about why I had chosen not to go to the police. And he actually wrote it in his article in the Herald Sun. So he wow. put my email in and wrote this whole thing about it. And I think to me, I felt that I'd done something positive. Yeah. So even when I was in the midst of shock of what had happened, I knew that it wasn't just about what had happened to me that there yeah. needs to be greater talk around why women didn't report. Yeah. I have to commend you for like how strong your voice has been throughout this entire mm. like story that you've said, you've always been able to vocalize things and been able to say how you're feeling. Um, that's not easy to do. So can like that good mm. on you for being able to speak up and even sending that email into the Herald Sun so early on, like that's incredible yeah. that you had the strength that's to, true. you know, want to help and want to be like, this is a broader conversation we need to have yeah. just from going to those services and being told, you know, like it's, it's strange how people can normalize this kind of thing and downplay it. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that's a trauma reaction. Is that a, like, I've had to deal with this in my own life and that's yeah. the response I got. So that's what the response I'm going to give to others. It's weird. And I think one thing, oh, I have never, I haven't been strong at all throughout it. Like, I was an absolute mess and I'll, mm. I'll talk more about that later but it's only been in the last couple of years that I could even use the word rape like I was unable yeah. to say that word and I still struggle to say that that's what happened to me because mm. I think that that makes it real so yeah yeah, 
But um, what what did amaze me? I've been I didn't you know tell the whole world about what happened, yeah. but I was certainly open about it with people who I was friendly with. Mm. Um, and what has blown my mind over the years is how many other women it's happened to. And when yeah. you say that it's happened, and they go, "Oh, that happened to me," but I haven't told anyone about it, or I haven't, I've only yeah. told a couple of people. And I just think it's something that women need to talk more about because I think that we would be shocked by how many people it's happened to. Definitely. And I think that men need to talk more about it too because what I was talking about before, like the shades of grey, like you think you know someone really well, Mm. but you ultimately never know what someone will do in that moment. And I think with all the stuff that's gone on with Christian Porter and that alleged incident years ago, Mm. that triggered me more than I think court cases trigger me a lot yeah and the fact when people say that this I didn't do that because when someone says they didn't do it it's just bringing it all back and I think I'm going to say it was yeah to do with that I've lost my train of thought now it's almost like um, a form of gaslighting when someone says I didn't do it because it's just denying that other person's entire experience and this is something that you know, rocked your world. This isn't mm. just some, like, some conversation or something. Like, it was an action. And, yeah, for them to just deny it so blatantly feels, yeah, like it's just denying all of your experience as well and mm. to not take accountability. Of course it's triggering seeing that mm. in public figures in the media mm. and not even having, you know, I was really disappointed the government didn't even um, do a whole investigation. Like, if there's yeah. allegations, there needs to be an investigation. I don't care who yeah. you are what where you come from that's only fair um but the fact that that was just shut down I was very I was triggered myself and very disappointed in the state of like we're doing all these fantastic initiatives for domestic violence and trying to heal um our survivors and then the government turns around and they can't even walk their talk you know Mm. like "Mm." yeah I think everything that happened last year in government was very triggering for a lot of people I I was a mess I reckon for probably six weeks and like I would say that I'm healed but it's amazing I was um I'll get to the psychologist later but I was diagnosed with PSD whatever it's called post-traumatic yeah that one um afterwards and it does come back to you like I didn't really believe that I had that when she said it Mm. but I can't get in, not that it happened in a lift, and this is really weird, I can't get into a lift with a man by myself. If I'm in a lift and a man gets in, to this day I have to get out. I just, that feeling of, you're just back there. Mm. And certain shows, so I was able to watch 13 Reasons Why the first season, I was fine. But the second season, I think I was a mess for probably six weeks, and that was again to do with the court case. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's just interesting, different things happen yeah, and last year everything that was raised about what allegedly happened in Parliament House and it, and all the people sharing their stories. But yeah, that, I know that's what I was talking about like, with um people in their shades of grey, like the allegations against Christian Porter. And I think this is what it comes down to, that all of the people around him go, no, he's an amazing person. He could never have done that. Mm. And the person who did that to me, is obviously an amazing person too because he got me to trust him very quickly. Yeah. And yep. he was smart and confident and capable and kind, you know, all of these things. Mm. And I think that the people who rope women are all of those things because yeah. otherwise they wouldn't get close enough for that to happen. So no one knows what a person will be in that moment. And you mm. can't just go, oh, he's a great person. He would never do that mm. because I've seen him and he's this and he's kind and he's that because everyone can be those things but you just don't know what they are like I think yeah that's the uncomfortable truth of it Mm. it's like it's really easy for someone to say oh I know them I know that they're great I know that all of this but no one knows what anyone does behind closed doors and Mm. yeah you're 100% right that there's shades of gray in everyone so a character reference can't really justify someone's experience that they're saying that this happened to me you know um no matter how well you know that person, there is always shades of gray. And it, it is hard, it's a hard pill for people to swallow. I think. I think it's an easier world to live in where you can just go, oh no, that that didn't happen. I know this person. It's a more uncomfortable world to live in to say, oh, maybe this did happen and actually question mm-hmm. things. And yeah, I think I don't know, it could happen. Yeah, potentially. And same with emotions, I think as well. People just want to push 
these things to the side until they've experienced them and then suddenly they can't anymore yeah yeah I think it was interesting too around that time I remember thinking because I did um volunteer work at Sacred Heart Mission in St Kilda oh yeah and then and I was quite friendly with a lot of the homeless people and I thought oh my god if I was to tell them what had happened to me because they were very protective of me they used to call me miss and you know do schoolyard jokes and stuff (laughs) god if I was to give them the address like yeah he would know some trouble (laughs) yeah yeah. yeah, and here's these people who everyone looks down on who would protect me and here's someone who other people would look up to who would do that. And they probably wouldn't question you in a second if you were to tell them your experience. Mm, yeah. No, yeah. At all. Mm. I just really want to circle back to um, the police. So what made you decide to go from not wanting to talk to the police to wanting to talk to the police? And how was that in your mind? I think in the conversation with my old boyfriend Mm. when he had said that, you know, he'd been in the middle of having sex with someone and she said that she didn't want to do it and he stopped, like she changed her mind or she wasn't comfortable with it. Um, And I thought, yeah, that's what normal people should do. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then I thought, I don't want this person to do this to anybody else. So, um, and when I went to the police and talked about it and they said, yeah, it stays on their record for a certain amount of time that there's been an allegation so mm. that way even if it's not proven it's still there oh, so that's good to know yeah yeah I don't know how long it's there but there's an allegation so yeah. and I thought well if my allegation means that someone else is believed yeah that's, yeah that's powerful yeah, yeah that's the right thing to do mm. and I think my conscience always sits with what you should do what's right you don't do what's easy so yeah. Yeah, I ended up, that's why I ended up going there. Yeah. I have like 20 follow-up questions, but do you want to jump into the rest of what you wanted to say? Um, No, no, go, do you want to do your follow-up question? So I think you've brought up an interesting point about consent and the importance of consent education. Um, I'm a huge believer and advocate for consent education in schools. And I think like the way you're ex-partner described being in the middle of a sexual act and still receiving that that no midway and being able to respect that and accept that consent has gone now and I need to like change my actions because of that I think that's amazing and again that should be the standard and the benchmark we hold people to um and especially as a teacher what are your thoughts on um getting consent programs into schools and Uh, do you think they're needed yeah and I've been harping on forever that um (laughs) I, I think we need to have programs that start in prep that are age appropriate about abuse. Like I've yeah. had so many children make, um, oh, I've gone blank again, but they've told me about abuse that they yeah. have suffered over the years, a lot of children. And I have, I have a big issue. I've been to see politicians about it, that when yeah. I make a mandatory statement, it's not like a police report and no one makes me sign off on that. And yeah. people at child protection who work, they're so flat out and they are, they also turn over their staff at such a high rate. Yeah. I've had two instances where what I have reported has not been put in in their report. Mm. Um, And some of it's been pretty horrific violence. And I wonder if they leave things out because they're just too overworked and they can't do things. But anyway, I think that there should be maybe one psychologist per 100 students at a school full time. Mm, Definitely. And I think that there should be programs where you teach children about abuse, physical, sexual, because... Yeah, I know a friend of mine when she'd reported the policeman told her it was about child abuse that there's one in every family, which is horrible to think about with mm, weird mm. pedophiles. But um, it happens and it's generally someone children know. Yeah. I think that if you can teach children about what it is early and then they can tell you what it is that they want to tell you and then there's a psychologist there to deal with it rather than the teacher who has no understanding of how to deal with this kind of thing. Yeah we could help a lot more people at an earlier age than we currently Definitely. are. And I think that it would be a really proactive approach because then you'd have adults who were hopefully healed well enough to function as adults yeah, rather than spiralling down in a hole. And I think that consent education comes from there too. And a good friend of mine, she's always said she teaches her children consent through tickling. So oh, I yeah. do the same. Like as soon as they say no, I go, okay, no, I'm not doing it because... When you say no to me, I stop, even if I'm having fun, you know? That's fantastic. Yeah, I think yeah. that's such a great way to do it in a child-appropriate 
format that yeah. it makes sense to them and you're not overloading them with too many things too soon but it's yeah. a perfect way to say yeah no means no and we need to respect that no definitely and I think with um young you know people as well I don't understand why everyone's so scared to talk to them about things like yeah. We, you have a, an, another teacher who you probably know. He was um, technology and <laughs> he starts a lot of programs. He's quite amazing. But he and I have talked about that we need to have, I, I think, young adults, like maybe 20-year-olds who are mm. very, you know, in touch with what's going on in the world to go out and in and talk to children yeah. about, you know, what is right, what is wrong, how do you deal with this, how do you deal with that? And it needs to be just open and you need to use the words. Like it's... Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. too many people are scared to talk about things with them. But if you could have an honest conversation at the start, it would be better than things going wrong. Yeah, 100% agree. I think like a lot of like I, I'm more focused, like my mindset is more on high school than yeah. primary school. I haven't had much to do with any primary schools, really. But um, like we're teaching sex education at year 10 level. But yeah, uh, the kids are already having sex quite young and yeah. they're already finding out the information in other ways. Like if we're yeah we're just avoiding the conversation because we're I don't know too uncomfortable with it or it's we're worried that it's going to upset them or something like it's like it's already happening at younger ages so we kind of need to redirect that to earlier on it does like a lot of children are having sex in year eight and yeah um I think it's really hard though because when you're in grade six you look at grade sixes and some you can see and you go oh you're going to be in trouble in a couple of years and others are still so so innocent and young. Yeah. So it's really hard to find that middle ground mm. but I think that if it was just it's just a conversation you know yeah it you could know, be a conversation about tickling you, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I don't know so I think there's a lot of work to be done yeah definitely yeah, yeah. I haven't even talked about my wonderful psychologist who I had then. So after I felt like I was about to have a breakdown, I went mm. to my GP and spoke to her and she gave me a referral to a really lovely psychologist. And I saw her twice a week at the start. And then I went to, I think, once a week and then once a fortnight until gradually I wasn't seeing her as much anymore. But she did a therapy with me um, and I can never remember the name of it, but it's like if you're scared of spiders and first you look at spiders and then you touch you touch a picture of a spider and then you touch a spider and then mm. you um yeah it's the gradual release model I guess exposure therapy that's what thank it is. you yeah <laughs> I couldn't think of it um so she made me do that and I quite liked that she would pull out like her books from the bookshop and say this is what you're doing because mm. it was technical to me it was you know something that was real yeah and so I had to start going to bars again and I had to start talking to people who I didn't know to men who mm. I didn't know and that was terrifying for me yeah. um, I found I had to sit down if I was standing up I just couldn't do it I was too shaky I was yeah mm. it was just hard and so I had to build up to the point where I felt comfortable to be intimate with someone again yeah, yeah. and I was really really scared of doing that and particularly because I'd only had like before that three long-term boyfriends and I hadn't really ever gone out a lot and done dating and stuff that much yeah yeah and your first and, experience was such a horrible experience yeah. it kind of does stay with you a little bit when you haven't got anything else to compare to that's a positive yeah 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 so I had to start all that and I was 30 probably 32 and a bit when yeah. that happened and also then your biological clock's a bit ticking and I'm thinking I'm so messed up in the head I can't even have a conversation with a male how on earth am I going to meet one to get married and have children which I want to have children and yeah so you start to get worried about your extra life. pressure on top of everything yeah yeah um but yeah she was really great and I think trusting people and talking to people helped me a lot mm. I think the more that you're honest with people where you are people always rise to the occasion and one thing that I learned to say was when I was really bad people would say are you okay and I would say I will be so mm. that was always my answer at that point because I ultimately knew that I would be and then I was probably I think it was just before I turned 33 oh I know I um, had to go, so the psychologist got me to 
um, put in a victims of crime submission because I'd spent like $8,000 on appointments with her. Yeah. And she was like, no, you need to get this money back. Like, this is not mm. fair that you're paying this money and he's off scot-free, you know, living yeah. his life. And that, again, sat with my feelings of justice, like what is right and what is wrong. Mm. So I put in my submission, saw the lawyers, got it all done and dusted. And my lawyer was quite, he was dodgy. So um, oh, he no. said to me, you're not getting anything unless you go to court, which is was not true. I mm. was going to get $5,000, I think, just as this has happened to you, you've made the allegation, rah, rah, rah. And he said, no, you have to go to court to get that money. And the person who you have accused of doing this can also be at the court there. He will be told about it and he can come as well. Mm. Um, so I got to the court and on the day and I was petrified. Um, the night before, a little student of mine had come to me and um, she was really upset because she had to go to court to deal with something that she'd been going through, wow. which was of a similar nature. Mm. and um she was really upset and I cried and I said to her we were both crying and I said I have to go to court tomorrow for the same sort of thing but I'm going to be really strong and I'm going to be back here on Friday and I'll tell you how easy it was and and then I ran and found her mom and I had a really good talk to her and said look you know I've told her this but I really don't want anyone else in the school to know and she yeah. was like we're 100% the same like I had known about this student for a while but I was unaware that the court was happening the same week as mine yeah that's so, like a conversation with your inner child right there right yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it I'd actually um as awful as everything was for me at that point I was glad that that had happened to me because I was able to be there for that little girl and yeah. make her feel better about it. Like yeah. I would never have been able to make her feel better about it. I could have given her the right words, but be able to say, I'm really scared too. And I know how you feel, but we're going to be all right. You know, and to be able was- to model that, that it's okay to be scared. It's okay to feel these big, heavy emotions. You don't have to just, you know, stop crying. Like, cause it's uncomfortable yeah. for the people around you. Like you know, even adults have these big, scary emotions sometimes. Like, this is a big deal of what's happening to you, like, to validate her experiences. That's huge. That's amazing. Mm. One thing I did find really hard was at school we had restorative justice program. Yeah, yeah. And um, the first time we had the PD was not long after that had happened to me. And it was all about that it was developed by Maori people as Mm. a way to deal with problems because if you hear about what you've done to someone, that makes it more real, you yeah. know, like, and you feel bad about it rather mm. than, and then they were saying that it was being used about for rape cases and sexual assault. So every time we had a PD, I couldn't do it because I was mm. like, I, I just can't be in here. This is too much. Like it was, but I can see the value of it. Like if I had been able to be strong enough to be face-to-face with that person and say, this is what you did to my life and this is how you made me feel, he could no longer pretend that he hadn't done that. Yeah. And do you think that's what the court would provide or like? No, I don't think so. I I don't know how it would work. I think it would have to be in a a small kind of room where they would have to just be there listening to you and not pretending for anyone else. Yeah. And I feel like that's like the ultimate exposure therapy right there is like level 100 is like go to the person and tell them how how they've affected you, which I think a lot of people wouldn't be able to do. I don't know how realistic that would be. As, as useful as it might be on the playground, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure of its implications in no. your life. Yeah, and that's I couldn't cope with the idea of it whenever we did it. And I was mm. thinking, how would people do this? Like that would be so hard. Yeah, um, yeah. So I was up to. Yeah, I was seeing Suzanne. She was amazing and helping me a lot. And then I met this. I was out with a whole lot of people from work and met this person from Sydney and he was really good fun and he asked me would I go on a date with him the next day and I was like yes I will and I think it was because he was from Sydney and there was mm. nothing real about it so I went out with him and we were basically out all afternoon and all evening and he was really fun and he was wise and I ended up finding out that he was seven years younger than me which I would never have gone on the date had I known that he was seven years younger than me yeah but um I ended up seeing him for close to a year. So he would fly me up to Sydney um, and take me to all these beautiful places and he'd fly down to Melbourne and um, he helped me a lot. He, I told him everything that had happened and he was just, he was wise and he was gentle and he was probably the perfect person to help me at that time because 
I didn't have to see him all the time. I was able to live my life and I was, he was just sort of a safety net as such. Yeah. And I almost feel like it would give you the time to work on the triggers as well. Like if there was something that came up for you, you'd have that space to be able to work through it instead of him just yeah. being in your face continuously. Yeah. And like he, he used to say sometimes when I'd be asleep next to him that I would wake up screaming and I'd be pushing and kicking yeah. him off me. And um, so, yeah, he was, he was good. <laughs> um, yeah. But then he, things started to get a little more serious and he started asking what I moved to Sydney and things. And I didn't want to, cause I didn't want to leave my family. Yeah. Um, and then out of nowhere, he broke up with me in the middle of the night, one night and said, I don't feel the same way anymore. It's over. Mm. And I actually hadn't been wanting to probably a month before I thought, uh, I think I'm done with this now. Like mm. I'm really over it. It's, it's been good for what it was and it helped me, but yeah. I, I don't want this and I don't want to live in Sydney. Yeah. Then when he did that, I went back to my pits of despair mm. um, and I went to see the psychologist and I was having suicidal thoughts. I um, was, I just wanted to be dead. I didn't want to have to go through anything anymore. Mm. I didn't really have a plan, but I prayed all of the time that I would just die. I was like, it would just be so much easier and there will be no more stress and no more worry and just let me die. And it was on my mind constantly that that was how I was feeling. Can I ask, what were the thoughts that kind of led to that? Was it the fact that you had to go out and find another person and that was terrifying or was yeah and I think it was that I was still so messed up and I thought I was on the road to recovery and I realized how bad I was Mm. Um, yeah and that then I still had to find someone even though he hadn't been the person who I wanted to find like yeah it was that comfort zone Um, Mm. and I didn't verbalize how I was feeling to anybody I just kept it all in and I was just a disaster Mm. and then one night I was at that friend's house with the children again um, and another friend from school was there um, because we all went to high school together and the other friend got a text message um, and she just found out that a girl she'd been out with the night before had committed suicide and um, Mon was really devastated Mm. but the first words that came out of my mouth without meaning to was she's so brave and Mm. I had I didn't mean to say that but that just came out yeah and they just stared at me like, what the hell? And then they were like, how are you feeling? And so they really got on my back. And because um, I've known Kylie since I was grade three. So she straight away got on the phone to one of my brothers. And she's like, right, we're taking her back to her psychologist. And we are going in and we are saying that we are worried. And this is how she's feeling. Mm. Um, so they did that. And yeah, the psychologist told them they really needed to look out for me and then I needed to speak and, you know, I had to do all those forms about how you're feeling. Yeah. Um, but when I spoke to her and I said, I don't understand how this breakup has triggered this in me because yeah. I wasn't that committed. Like I wasn't, you know, and she said, it's nothing to do with what happened. It's to do with the feelings that it's evoked in you. So yeah. she said that um, what happened to you when you were raped was, a breach of trust and mm. she said, and here's this person who's in your mind saved you and helped you and you had so much trust in him and for that to have happened in the way that it did it's brought the same feeling of breach of trust happening again so it's taken you right back to where you were then mm. just in your yeah even though it's a different circumstance and your mind was different and yeah so that helped me a lot because I could not work out how I could go from wanting to break up with him to feeling like that yeah, it's amazing how things will trigger you and you won't even know that they've triggered you, but suddenly, yeah, you're in that dark place again. That's like, where yeah. did this come from? Um, and yeah, just working back a few steps to kind of work it out. And it, again, it's your subconscious mind that that trust mm. has been broken and that's that's really hard for you to kind of take on um, yes. when you've done so much to build it back up again. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So that was not a good time. But I went back to seeing her on a quite a regular basis and I started getting on top of everything. And she'd actually said to me that she was glad that I was no longer with him because she was saying that when you perceive someone to be someone who has saved you, it's yeah. not like you've done the work. And she said, and I don't want you to be with that person. It's not a healthy person for you to be with. Because then there's the temptation to just go back because, you know, that'll solve how I'm feeling, I guess in yeah. a way yeah and whereas in your other mind you were like oh this isn't really working for me anyway mm, yeah 
Yeah, so I don't know. I just, um, I think I lay low for quite a bit of time then. And I went on holidays with friends and did things. Um, the lovely PE teacher at school, I went on holiday with her and her husband. Just after that, they were going to Thailand. And because I was no good at all, um, she's like, do you want to come? And I was like, can I? <laughs> I'm like, but I am intruding with you too. And she said, no, we would love to have you. So it was a bit weird. Um, I went and stayed in the same hotel. And, but it was lovely. Like we went out for dinner at night and it was my family and my good friends were very worried about me because they're like, you're just leaving the country when you're in this terrible state of mind. But I think the time in the sun and away from people helped. It was July and it was yeah. freezing in Melbourne and just to lie in the sun in Thailand and eat delicious Thai food and be with people who I trusted was really good. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. And then it was, I can probably six months after that, that my youngest brother's best friend, um he had broken up with his partner and we'd known each other since he was in prep mm. I am seven years older than him like I was oh wow and he and I like he'd had a girlfriend a couple of girlfriends for years and I'd had these boyfriends and we'd go to the footy and we'd sit and I'd say how's Megs and he'd say good how's Matt and I'd say yeah good and like we'd just sit and talk about football yeah um, we went out for my brother's birthday and he and I just had a big drink and chatting and he said what do you do for holidays when you're single like you know I've just broken up and I would love to go on a holiday and I was like you come with my friends because mm -hmm. by that stage the lovely PE teacher and her husband a lot of other people started joining the holidays so there <laughs> were holidays. Like oh, how nice. about eight people who would just come and couples and yeah it was lovely mm. so he was like really would they mind and I was like no 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 you come on a holiday with all of us and I just started dating people again then. Um, and every time the phone would ring, it would not be him. And I hadn't expected that I would think anything like that about him. Mm. I've known him since he was in prep. And um, and then eventually he rang and he's like, so I've booked the holiday. And I was like, oh, that's good. And then we had a mutual friend's birthday party. And um, yeah, we kissed that night. And oh, wow. Then, um, yeah, we ended up getting, we were engaged oh, less than a year later and married within 18 months. That's amazing. Yeah, but I think that um, had I not been with the Sydney Cider, who was seven years younger, I would never, ever have married Mark because I wouldn't, I would have gone, oh, you're way too young for me. Yeah. And I think that in healing and getting to know different people and seeing that age is irrelevant, I mm. think, Yeah. It really, it really is. You can yeah. be so mature and so young or so immature and so old, really. Yeah. Um, and I find it so interesting how the universe will just throw us curveballs like that. And you didn't even know when you started, when you accepted that guy and then suddenly he was seven years younger than you. It was almost like a sign, like all leading you to one way. Yeah. <laughs> Where you met your I partner. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. And I think, I don't know, in terms of coming to reconcile with things that have happened to you, it sounds really wishy-washy, but, you know, I do think that things happen for reasons. Yeah. And whilst I wouldn't want that to have happened to anyone, I think it's made me a lot more empathetic and understanding as a person. Like I, at the start, talking about the people who had been, you know, domestic abuse about people. Mm. It just makes you see things through a different lens that you would never be able to rationalise. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And I think that's half the reason with government is because people... Like if we had people like you in parliament, God, I can only imagine how amazing that would be. People who've had lived experience and who know what it's like and can kind of inform the conversation around these important topics. Um, yeah. So you mentioned therapy. Is there anything else like therapeutic um, that you found really helpful during those dark times? Yeah, I think just doing things um, that relax you. Mm. you so I am um, at one stage when I was no good I just watched Friends every season of Friends and I ate chips and chocolate and just love it yeah um yeah I, I reckon I did that for a few months mm. <laughs> but it helped me so I think being present in a moment and not having to think and for for me watching Friends was easy and I didn't have to think but I wasn't able to think about anything else yeah well yeah um being at work helped me a lot because mm. teaching is so busy you don't have a second from the minute you get there at eight o'clock until you leave at five you are not alone at any time and there's no time to think 
or deal yeah. with things. So I, whilst you want to think and you want to heal and deal with things, you also need to be busy so that you can just live and not dwell in how you're feeling. Yeah, you know, definitely. Especially when, I think when you're feeling suicidal, and I can't imagine for the poor people who can't get out of bed and just mm. want to be in bed because that would be horrific. Whereas when I felt like that, I went to work and I didn't have those feelings. It was only when I got home. Yeah, I think there's a fine line, like a fine balance between feeling too much and not feeling enough and finding that middle point is crucial. It's mm. like, how do we process these emotions but also let them go and not have them stay with us so we're not like stuck in this, yeah, get, not getting out of bed for however long. Yeah. Um, and sometimes work can be that thing that just breaks the, yeah. the patterning of the thinking for a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And I couldn't think. So I'm a big reader, as you can probably see all my books behind me. <laughs> Love it. Um, I couldn't read at all wow. during my bad times because m my mind would wander. Yeah. So I wasn't able to sustain, you know, even reading a paragraph, whereas mm. I watch things. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think just doing the things that make you feel safe. Is really yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah, being around the people who make you feel safe. Yeah, it sounds like you had a really great support network around you and everyone was quite good at looking after you when you needed them too and things like that, which yeah. is great to hear. Yeah. Um, but I think still it's amazing that like you were probably at school around then. I can't even remember when you were at school. I, I actually have a memory of this. I don't know if you want me to share. Um, I remember you were off work and you were my favourite teacher of all time and... I I was like, when's Miss Dinon going to be back? I'm sick of the substitute teacher. <laughs> um, and I saw you at school in the morning and I was like, oh, everyone, Miss Dinon's back. We're going to get her. Like, because if you saw your teacher in the morning, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. they were obviously teaching you. Mm -hmm. And then you weren't. And I was so shocked. And I was like, why? And then we went, we had like computers class or something. And I saw you in the admin room, like doing paperwork and stuff. And I was just like, why is that happening? I <laughs> did not compute. I had no idea, but it's so interesting. I, I pieced together that when I realized when I realized what had happened to you as an adult, never understanding it, like obviously as a child, but um, I was like, oh my God, that makes sense as to why she was at work, but she wasn't teaching per se, because she probably wasn't ready for it yet. Like yeah. who wants to deal with me in their face? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really curious. I know when I went through my personal experience with um kind of a form of sexual abuse I suppose I would call it how did you um build your sense of safety back up again to be able to go and do that exposure stuff and like I felt like my sense of safety was just shot and it really took a lot to build that back up um I went to places that I'd been to previously so that I knew yep. I felt okay um I often befriended gay men like I oh. would be there with a couple of friends of mine but I always I know I feel safe around gay men so really? if there were any there we'd go and hang out with them for a while <laughs> um yeah I had a few friends and my friends would come with me some of my friends who were married would come because um yep. they knew I needed support and I had one good friend who was single and so she used to come out too yeah um I always drove mm. so I knew that I would always be able to get home yeah I didn't have to worry and I didn't I might have had one glass of wine but that was enough Mm -hmm. I didn't want to put myself in a situation where my judgment was impaired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because you don't know who people are. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know how I did it. I just, I think I was determined as well. Like, yeah, I really wanted to live a normal life as such. You know, mm. I, didn't, I wanted to get married and find the right person, not any person, and have children and yeah. bring up good children. So I think all of those, that want gave me a determination. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that, that feeling of like, I know it's out there. I know there's a good relationship <laughs> out there and I deserve that. So I'm going to keep persisting, even though, you know, what's around me at the moment is not ideal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Say if I was to come or if anyone listening to this podcast was to come in contact with someone who's been through rape, like how would you, what advice would you give people to, how would you talk to that person or support that person going through that? I think just to say that you believe them. Yeah. Um, number one, uh, and I don't know why it was more important, but when my male friends said that they believed me, yeah, that, that was really big for mm. me. Um, 
yeah I think just believing people asking them what they need like yeah do you need me to just come over and sit there do you mm. need me to cook you dinner do you need to be alone um do you need to go to bed and I can be in your lounge room just yeah because I think sometimes you don't want to be alone but you don't want people around yeah 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 so just to know that there's other people there is good yeah that's good and everyone has different things I suppose so asking what they need is the perfect solution it's like you might want to be around people you might not want to be around people and yeah this way Mm. I I know how to support instead of just assuming I know how to support yeah yeah Yeah, I think so Hmm. well is there anything else you wanted to mention or go back to or you feel like that I just think when people are at their darkest days like you you will be all right like Mm. I say when people will say to me you know are you okay and I wasn't I was certainly not okay but in my mind to say I will be yeah I think that that's something that I've given to other people and and when I was a deputy principal for at two schools for a few years and people would come to me as they had big issues in their life and Mm. I always say to them you will be okay and you need to keep telling yourself that yeah that if you've got that mindset I will be and also not one thing I learned from the psych was not to hurry um Mm. and to feel all of your emotions so like your um beach ball it keeps popping up and she would say you know you don't try and rush happiness and you don't try and rush joy you shouldn't rush sadness like when you're when you're sad you need to be sad and you can't just keep pushing it aside because like you said it will pop up but it will also pop up at the wrong moment so you know you might be in a shop and something goes wrong you know you can't find what you want or someone pushes in front and you could let loose at them yeah yeah you've got to I think deal with it but you've got to deal with it when you're ready yeah like you can't push it away forever Mm, mm. but you also can't deal with it then and there if you're not ready to yeah definitely I think there's like a lot of people will say there's no right time and I I can see why you wouldn't want to jump into sadness when you're in the middle of a work meeting or something like I, mm-hmm. I understand that but definitely yeah the avoiding the the want to push it off and push it off and push it off and never find the right time and then it will just pop up at an inopportune moment yeah I I definitely think that this has been really illuminating and I'm, I'm really glad that you came on and got to chat about your experience. Is there like, like anything else you want to? No, I just think women need to share more yeah. about things that have happened to them. And I, uh, I, I think that we have trouble sharing about it because you think that you're partly to blame. Mm. Um, if someone broke into my house and stole everything or if I was walking along the street and someone beat me up, I would feel no shame and I would be able to say to everyone, oh, I was just out for a walk and someone did that. But when you trust someone and they do that to you, you take on the blame because you feel that you shouldn't have had that trust in that person. Yeah. And I think that we need to stop doing that because it's not our fault. Mm. And I think that that's part of the reason why women don't talk about it I would definitely agree with that I think there's this societal undercurrent of victim blaming that sometimes we take on personally like I should have known better or I shouldn't have gone out at night or whatever it is um when that's yeah like you said like you wouldn't blame yourself if someone beat you up on the street that's not your fault at all it's never your fault um but there's this part of us that yeah I think naturally is inclined to 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 blame ourselves and our judgment in this kind of situation Um, And I found for me, a really big part of my healing journey was actually forgiving myself for putting myself in that position as well, because I tried to forgive, you know, him and what he did, but I never actually thought, am I holding myself accountable? Am I being hard on myself about this as well? And I think there's a big piece in that around healing and, and moving on from, from what's happened to you is that it's not your fault and it's okay to, it's okay to talk about this stuff it's okay to put it put it out there because like you didn't deserve for that to happen to you and you will help other people by speaking up and having mm. a voice and I guess that's the whole point of this podcast yeah yeah and I think people like Brittany Higgins blows my mind how yeah she was able to talk 
so eloquently about what had happened to her and how she has had to relive that trauma time and time again. I don't know how she continues to do that. But I also don't know how she dealt with all of the voices that were around her. And I'm someone who reads everything and the amount of people that still blamed her and it's still out there and people are still blaming victims. And I think that until that stops, people won't talk and people won't go to the police yeah. until conviction rates start going up more. Mm. In Scotland, they have, um, it's a not proven verdict. So they have guilty, innocent and not proven. And I think that that's something that we should look at because in instances of sexual abuse and rape, you can't prove it because Mm. it's one person's word against another. Yeah. But to say not proven, it's not that they're saying we don't believe you. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that it's thrown out altogether. It's yeah. Yeah. We can't believe either of you. You're both Mm. convincing in what you're telling us. Mm. So we can't prove it one way or the other. Something like that, I think, would help a lot of people. Definitely. I think the more of those kind of bright ideas we can bring into the legal justice space around this issue, the better, I think. It just, it isn't a clear cut black or white, um, but we need to be able to make sure that our victim survivors feel heard and feel like that we're not just shutting them out and, you know, throwing out their their conviction um definitely yeah Yeah, I think people should go to the police and they should talk to people and they need help psychological help to get through things Mm, and there's no shame in that at all Um, no yeah all right well thank you so much for joining us Andrea this has been phenomenal and I, I can't wait to share it with all the listeners good well lovely thank you for having me